Welcome to Authority Issues, a podcast about leadership, management, and whether podcast AV is more of a dark art than wireless networking. I'm bum, Rachel bum, bum. Perkins, aka Pie or Pie Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller. I believe if you fly high enough, you can touch the sun. Ow. But once you get there, you're in space, and it's very confusing which way is up and where to go next. You're totally Iron Man. Um, today on the show, we're talking with Elisa Hibbert. Hebert, Hibbert, as uh, Kendall likes to say, head of operations. Hey bear. Hey bear. Uh, head of operations and client solutions at Kenzen. Thanks for coming on yeah. the show. Thanks for, Thanks for being me. here, Elisa. Yeah. yeah. Well, and let's let's dive right in. Tell us about your path to leadership and management and where you are today, because uh, I, I, I imagine it's been a long, windy road. Yeah, so somebody asked me this question the other day, and I've never started with this part of my story. And I was thinking about what I was going to say today, and I think that uh, it's it's it'll it'll be an interesting start. Uh, so uh, when I was seven, my parents opened a, a pastry shop, and um, you know this they, is a different start than I anticipated. Yeah, it's yes, a long, long ago start. I do think it has an impact in sort of the way that I. I think about um, accountability, which to me is a big piece of leadership. And so um, I would work in the shop and, you know, run the cash register or whatever. I had to stand on a milk crate because I was, you know, roughly the height that I am now, which is not very tall. And, um, and uh, you know, wash dishes and, you know, waited on customers and things like that at a really young age. And then every night, um, my dad and I would count the register and I would count the change and he would count the bills. And um, so I sort of had this, you know, understanding of, you know, the, the business as something that we were all accountable to. And I've carried that with me everywhere I've gone. Um, so, hmm. uh, my parents had, uh, a shop for, uh, well, wait, but oh, before yeah. you move on, you sure. mean like, even from a young age, you felt ownership of like, like the need for everyone to be involved in advancing the business rather than just being a cog that didn't really matter. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yes. And I felt like all of, so I started out, my parents would pay me uh, piecemeal. So in a pastry shop, you have to, uh, there's a, like a wooden board and then there's a doily and you have to attach the doily to the board. And I would get paid a penny for each one that I did. Right. And you could definitely see this as like a cog in the wheel kind of an activity, but I had like this, I took so much pride in it and you know, you can, it could be off by just a little bit and then everything looks terrible. You know, you have this beautiful cake and the doilies all screwed up. So I took a lot of pride in the fact that like, I really wanted it to be perfect. And then when we would count the money at the end of the day, um, my father would compare it to the receipts. And if we were off by like, even a little bit, like, you know, he would talk to me about why it was so important to make sure that, you know, things balanced out. And um, he would do these little math problems with me. And um, I felt like I was an integral part of this machine, even when I was this little kid. Wow. And it's also very yeah. like a heartwarming picture too. like, you know, uh, it's the family business and, and run in the way that one would hope <laughs> rather yeah. than the, the yeah. parents being like, you are all forced to work in the, in the mines for us. <laughs> yeah, so it sounds totally. like such a great beginning to the story. So I'm looking forward to hearing the rest. So where did you go from there? Um, so I worked, I worked for my parents for a long time on and off, um, you know, through high school and then, you know, beyond college, but then, um, 
as a as a teenager, I started to get involved in this uh, youth center, this queer youth center, and they had a um, they had a, a peer education program. So we did um, anti homophobia training and we did HIV pre- prevention training. And so um, I started out as a peer educator, so we'd go go out to schools and tell my coming out story. Um, and then also do sort of, um, HIV prevention for kids that were my age. So this is like, you know, I'm 16, 17 years old. And then, wow. um, when I got to college, um, I ended up, um, running that program. So that was sort of my first, um, example of sort of being in charge of something that included more than just me having to <laughs> figure uh-huh. out what I was going to do with myself. Um, right. Did, and did that like, program? Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I, no, I, you go ahead. Uh, did that? Did the program that you were involved in, um, this peer educator program, and then later, later as you rose up through the organization, did they train you in any way? Or I mean, I'm sure that peer education requires. You know, if you're going to do a lot of it, you're going to encounter some unpleasantness or some opportunities for leadership. Did you get given any guidance, or was it all like on the job training? Yeah, I've actually been really lucky, you, you know, starting at this age and all through my career, I've had really great mentors. Um, and, you know, starting, uh, you know, becoming a peer educator, there was like a formal a formal training program. Um, it was a couple of days and, uh, you know, you would learn how to write your story and tell it and then you'd tell it to your awesome. peers. And I was terrified um I I still hate public speaking with like every ounce of my being too (laughs) um (laughs) even though I did you know do it semi often um but you know I got I got you get sort of used to it over time but so then you would you would you would tell your story you would people would give you feedback on it um and then you would go out and you would watch other people do presentations and sort of see what the reactions were and um I've been really lucky in, in, in my, in that part of my life anyway, I never really got a lot of negative, um, feedback. Um, a lot of people who were like, Oh my God, I can't believe you're willing to, to do this. I mean, this is like the early nineties, right. Before, um, it was cool to be out anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was, a it was an well, interesting experience. Especially at 16, it wasn't yeah. cool to be out anywhere. Yeah. No, it was, it's not very cool to be out. At 16, but, um, you know, I just sort of have always been, um, you know, personally accountable to myself. Like, you know, I was never a kid who, um, was very much swayed by, um, uh, other people's opinions or, you know, I certainly notice them and when they're negative, I, I want to understand why, but, um, if I believe that I'm doing the right thing, I could not really care less. What no, you think. it is the kids who are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, totally. Um, well, how, yeah, yeah, keep going. How, how'd you get from there to to, to here? Keep, uh, yeah. this is this is a good story, Elisa. Keep going. <laughs> so I did that for a few years uh, through through college. I went to went to school for design, and uh, halfway through college, I said, "I don't want to do this. This is all shenanigans. It's designed for obsolescence, and it's terrible. I don't want to be a I don't want to be a designer. I want to be a social worker." Um, and my parents were like, really? Oh, I mean, okay. If that's really what you want to do, we'll support you. They were incredibly supportive. Um, you know, once they got over the, like, are you, are you sure you don't want to do this thing that we're paying all this money for you to go to school for? Um, 
And, uh, a, a and good parental response that you probably understand now as a parent. I, Anyways. Oh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so I got a, a job in a, um, in a group home for adolescent girls and I got paid $6 and 28 cents an hour and I could not, you know, pay my rent or <laughs> eat mm-hmm. uh, or really anything on that. Um, and so I pretty quickly started looking for other opportunities. And the year, there's a um, AIDS AIDS service organization uh, in Providence near where I was living that I was familiar with from the HIV prevention work I had done with the Career Youth Center. And they had a volunteer coordinator job opening. And um, I pestered the hiring manager until I think she just hired me to get me to shut up. Um, it is a tried and true strategy. That is a tried and true strategy. <laughs> yeah. If you get one thing from this podcast, hassle the person you're trying to just, so wait for clarity, when you say volunteer coordinator, you mean a coordinator of volunteers, not a person who coordinates volunteers voluntarily. This is a paid position. Correct. This okay. was a paid position at, in the hefty, uh, uh, I, I think I was making, I think she hired me at like $18,000. And I was like, this is so much money. Like uh-huh. this is an, an amazing amount of money. I was so excited. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, doing stuff that I was interested in, right? So working with people who were, so that we had sort of three major volunteer programs. Um, one of them was uh, a nursery for kids who were immunocompromised. Um, one was a, um, a, a living facility for adults with um, HIV. And then uh, one was uh, the syringe exchange program uh, for the state was run by this organization. And so I was charged with training all of the volunteers in all of the things that you need to know when you work for an HIV service organization. So it's all of the stuff around like, what's the actual program, but then there's a whole bunch of other things around like bodily fluids and how to handle body fluid spills and things like that. Now to go back to you, what you said earlier, which, you know, I know you said in jest, like this person hired you just to get you out of their hair, but it sounds to me like you had had the kind of experience beforehand that let that made you super qualified for this gig, right? Uh, what you had done yes. previously <laughs> heading the previous program seems, you know, kind of tailor made to you move into this role. So uh, I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> self I, I appreciate that. Or not. It sounded like you were perfect for this gig. <laughs> but anyway, carry yeah. on. I mean, I agreed, which is why I, you know, was <laughs> harassing why the story her. ends well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Which is how, how I feel about every role I've ever applied for. Uh, yes, but, this is uh, Kendall in totally. a nutshell. Woohoo! <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so I did that for a little while, and I had my eye on the prevention supervisor role. And that's sort of what I really wanted, because I wanted to run the syringe exchange program for the state. And I wanted to run the HIV and hepatitis C testing programs. And what state um, was this? Uh, Rhode Island. Okay, keep going. Born and raised. Um, so this is uh, this was in let's see, like 2002. And um, I really wanted to to um, sort of have a little bit more purview over those things. I thought I had some good ideas about how we could expand and grow those programs. Um, we also ran a street outreach program 
giving out condoms and teaching people about safe sex and stuff like that. Um, and I felt like, you know, we could sort of integrate those things a little bit more than, than they currently were. And so, um, I got, I had a, an opportunity when the person who was running the program decided that, uh, she was going to move on, um, to do something else. And, um, again, sort of basically sat in the hiring manager's office until, until she agreed to give me the job. Um, and then uh, moved into a position where I very quickly went from sort of just managing uh, vo- the volunteers, which is a different sort of gig, to having 30 people um, who were all part-time um, sort of that I needed to, to organize and orchestrate the, and train and, you know, make sure that they all felt like uh, what their contributions were, you know, valuable. That's a big jump. So, is, yeah, is- yeah, it was a big jump. I want to ask real quick, is managing 30 part-time people easier than 10 full-time people? Like 30 people well, has got to be 30 people, period, right? Isn't that just complicated as can be? I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of like active managing at this point okay. in my career, right? So it was like, let's make sure that everybody knows when they need to show up. And okay, which okay. t-shirt they're supposed to be wearing <laughs> and that they've, they've got the training, they've passed the whatever training credential they were supposed to in order to be allowed to be in the space or to doing the thing or whatever, right? Because we did HIV testing, which required a particular um, kind of set of skills. And most of that was done by our, our staff um, and not by, um, or sorry, by our full-time staff, not by part-time staff, but there was some overlap there as well. Um so, you know, I would say if I were doing it now, it would probably be a really heavy load. But at the time, it just seemed like a lot of orchestration. Okay. okay. Sure. Yeah. Like that's a that's a classic line manager kind of role in a way. It's like just scheduling everybody. Yeah. 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 So from there, what happened? Um, so as a part of the, the first job I had had there as a volunteer coordinator, um, there wasn't, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people who can, has like a sort of absurd capacity for work and, um, there wasn't enough for me to do. And so, uh, I took on a couple of other things in parallel. And one of them was, um, I taught myself how to make like a little HTML website and built a website for the organization. And so, um, a friend of mine, so this is, I'd been there for about five years and uh, at this point, and a friend of mine owned a web development shop and a mutual friend said, hey, she needs a, a graphic designer. You should go work for her. And I said, I'm not a graphic designer, though. Um, <laughs> she said, but 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 you should go do this. This is a really good opportunity for you, you know. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm, I don't want to. I'm at the top of my game. Like, I run the statewide coalition. I run the syringe exchange. I'm doing all the things I wanted to do. I don't want to go work for her. Um, I love her. She's amazing. I don't want to go work there. And, uh, she's just, just go talk to her. And so this was a situation where someone bugged me until I gave in. See? Um, See? and so <laughs> it totally works. <laughs> and so, uh, I called her and said like, Hey, you know, this friend of ours will not leave me alone. Can we sit down and talk? And she was like, yeah. And she come in and we'll hang out a little bit. And someone I've known for a really long time. And, um, so I was, you know, excited to get to spend some time with her. So I sat down with her, I talked to her for two hours. And by the end of that two hours, I was like, you know, I would basically do anything that you asked me to do. Like you were just such a <laughs> compelling 
um, force. Uh, and so um, really engaging and, and uh, really got me excited about the idea of, of, of coming to work for her. So I, I made the jump uh, over and um, uh, she hired me as a graphic designer and a project manager. And um, my best friend, since I was a little kid, was like, I don't know why we've never thought of this as a job for you. Like, you've been project managing me since we were like seven. <laughs> Is that a compliment so, or uh, is, is, is that a yeah. Right. I was like, <laughs> also, I, I want to back up a moment. I mean, so what did she tell you that changed your path so drastically? It must, I mean, if it was money, that's, that's great. Money's good. But I mean, like, how did that go? It was partially money. Um, it was a lot, you know, it was like, I don't know, 40% more uh-huh. than I was making. Yeah. Yeah. I can point. totally it believe like, that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of money to me um, at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, she told me that I could continue to sort of do some uh. of the things that were really important to me. So, you know, um, I was in a, a leadership development program through the CDC for HIV prevention leadership, mm-hmm. and I wanted to finish doing that and continue to give back through that sort of vehicle. Um, and the organization that she had built was building websites primarily for nonprofits and philanthropic organizations. And so it felt Hmm. like something that wasn't like selling my soul to the Mm -hmm. man or whatever, right? Like it really felt like I could continue to provide something of value to the community. Yeah, that's a perfect storm of of the things that make you feel okay about doing that. No, I just wondered because you were so intent on it initially and then Yeah, I was really, it was a hard (laughs) task for me. And then it was like a hundred and eight, you know, 180 from, from my original. Uh, All right. So, so you started at this place and you were doing the project managing and, uh, and design. Yeah. And it became really clear, really fast that I was not a graphic designer, which if you recall, I stated in the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, But I grew really quickly in the PM space because it sort of, was a perfect fit for what, you know, is interesting to me. So like, you know, I like all of the stuff of the, like the machine, right? Like the timelines and the budgets and making sure that all the stuff lines up. Um, But I also, you know, believe in personal accountability really strongly. And I've always been very interested in sort of being a facilitator and helping people um, have what they need to, to be successful. And, And so it was a really good fit for me. And so I started out as a project manager within a year I was a senior project manager and then pretty quickly was promoted to director um and then by the time I left there I was there for 11 years mm-hmm. it's um, a long by stint. the time I left there it's a long stint and I I firmly believe that I was gonna like die in that chair I thought that that, was, <laughs> that was it for me well I mean coming um, from a situation where your folks own they owned that pastry shop right their entire adult lives mm-hmm. right so that's how you saw jobs too possibly well, no. So my parents, the pastry shop was a second, oh, a second, uh, okay. a second thing for my parents. My dad had retired, and I had bought uh, into that idyllic, and, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I have the story in my head and everything. Like, okay. Third generation pastry shop. Owners <laughs> and... Anyway, apologies. Carry no, on. No. Yeah, no worries, no worries. But I, I think it, it was impactful because I was little enough when they started it that it, you know, mm-hmm. that that really sunk in for me. Yeah. Um, but you know, I was working for a small business and. Um, for an owner that I cared deeply about and that was really compelling to me as a, you know, both personally and professionally. And um, so I thought that that was, that was the game for me. And then you um, didn't die in that chair. 
I didn't die in that chair. Yeah. So, uh, so by the time I left, I was a VP over the business. So everything from operations to account management, uh, all of the service stuff. And then I had a partner who, um, managed, who was a VP on the other side and managed sort of all of the design engineering and stuff like that. Um, so the way, the reason that I ended up taking my leave was, uh, she sold the business, uh, to, uh, uh, group of folks and I gave it about a year and um you know I was listening to Kendall's podcast I think the other day is is the one that was uh, his interview uh-huh. and um he made this comment that was like if I could uh uh have have a bigger salary and less responsibility I'll keep doing that for the rest of my <laughs> career and that was exactly what <laughs> happened in this situation um they gave me more money and they gave they took away some of my responsibility and I was like this, this, like, I should be excited about this, but this seems like it's going in the wrong direction for me because I'm interested in having more influence and more, you know, ability to contribute. And, uh, it was not the direction I wanted to go. Well, the trick is to keep um, all the influence, but lose the responsibility. (laughs) I I wasn't able to make that, (laughs) make that turn that really cut that corner quite that specifically. So, Yeah. So I decided, you know, it was time to, to start looking around and I wasn't, you know, in a huge rush. And, um, uh, I ended up finding this organization called Kenzon. Um, so now I'm in Denver, right. And I grew up in Rhode Island and, uh, I found this organization. No, not different at all. But, uh, this organization randomly was based in Rhode Island, roughly a half a mile away from the, <laughs> the, uh, wow. the, the main office of the last place I worked, which was, um, but wait, you didn't get the job in Rhode Island and then move out here. You actually moved out here and then happened to get a job with a company that had an office right there. Correct. Oh, so when funny. I was with the, the last organization I was with for 11 years, um, I moved to Colorado halfway through and uh, started working from home. And then, um, so they're a Rhode Island based okay. company. So, and, yeah, so I was here and then, oh. and then came to Kansas. Yeah. Okay. And then what does it mean to be head of operations and client solutions in, in your current um, role? You know, that is still a little bit of a work in progress. So we uh, recently went through um, a reorg. So we were acquired uh, two years ago. So I've been with Kenzon for a little over three years now. And we were acquired two years ago by Amdocs, which is a, this multinational, uh, 26,000 person, much larger than we are organization. We're about a hundred. Whoa, that's people. a big change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Some kind of document been... processor, I'm assuming from the name. No, it's not, you know, a couple of people have said that. No, no, I know that it's not, but it sounds so much like, like that. I have a hard time getting know. my, yeah, anyways, keep going. Uh, so they do a lot of enterprise product stuff, uh, cloud work, sure. uh, billing, billing software, big, big telco stuff. Um, and so we were, we were purchased and, uh, have been kept mostly as a discrete business unit. We offer a little bit more of a boutique um, service-based uh, software engineering than than the larger organization does. And so my role um, is on the business side. And so I oversee all of our business and physical operations. Um, so that's everything from like, you know, our offices and all of the, the you know, desks and facilities, all that facilities, sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, facility stuff. And then also like... Um, 
I review all of our, our legal documents. I review all of our P&Ls. I manage our overhead budget, um, make sure that, you know, all of those things are, are lined up in the best interest of the organization. Um, and then the client solutions side. So client solutions is sort of like if you took account management and um, relationship management and uh, like a little bit of finance and some resource management and smushed them together and had a baby. That's the oh, client solutions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're responsible for a lot is the short of that. Mm-hmm. Well, a couple a of things. things. Yeah. So in the, in the, yeah. um, in this like glorious journey from standing in front of your teenage, you know, classmates and talking about things that matter uh, to this this role leading a large you know large organization, what what have uh, what's been some of the key stuff you've learned about uh, leadership? What's been one of the harder or more embarrassing lessons you've learned along the way? Um, so you know I care a lot about accountability, and I have really high expectations for myself, and I have really high expectations of other people. And it has been, it is a really hard lesson. And it is one that I am continuing to learn that like, not everybody has the same things that are important Mm -hmm. to them. Um, And that that's okay. And that uh, we can all have sort of the same goals in mind and get there in different ways. And as long as we are all being, you know, ethical about it, it's okay that we don't all go in the same direction. And I pushed against that for a long time and really couldn't understand, you know, why everybody didn't want to do it my way. Um, Cause my way was the best way, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> well, if it wasn't, you would do it a different uh-huh. way. Right. I mean, yeah. duh. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. Can you give an example of a, of a time when you were like, no, do it my way. And then someone said, Hey, how about, <laughs> oh my God. how about we not do it this way? Like, how, how did that go? Like <laughs> every day almost. <laughs> this is this is my constant struggle because i have a really really strong bias for action um and uh, and for speed and i have to really consciously remind myself every single day that you know just because people aren't moving as quickly or don't have the same bias for action that that is an okay way to operate um and in some cases a better way to operate, right? Like slowing down and taking in a little bit more of the, the, the picture is sometimes a mm-hmm. better way to, to, to move forward. If, um, if you're ever in a job interview and they ask you the stereotypical, you know, what's your biggest weakness? This is a really mm-hmm. great, like, this I can just one? move the answer, too fast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, yeah. like, I feel like, I feel like she's probably had that experience oh, yeah, I know. I mean, <laughs> in a job interview. <laughs> it's, it's a good, I mean, as you hearing you say that, I mean, I feel like that's, it's a constant frustration for lots of people is like, I, I really wish we were going faster and uh, yeah. mm-hmm. it's, it's entertaining to hear that that's just still a constant struggle. But I mean, I guess, is that, is it a struggle because you can't seem to communicate the urgency to reports or is it a struggle because whether they understand that urgency or not, you just feel the urgency differently than them? So I would say it's not just reports, right? So it is, a, so the role that I have is uh, sort of matrixed uh, across the organization. So while I do have a set of direct reports, 
client solutions is the most is most successful when we have individual relationships with everybody across the organization. And so right. I find I bump I bump up against this in a lot of different ways with my peers, with folks above me, with folks that report to me, either matrix or not. Um, in in terms of, uh, I I don't show the math enough, right? So um, I don't show how I got to the decision that this needed to be an urgent situation. Mm. And so when I don't show the math, folks sometimes can be like, I don't understand why this why is a fire. Why are you freaking out? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh-huh. And, and understanding that what is urgent to me might not always be urgent to other people. And so slowing down a little bit and saying like, okay, why is this urgent to me? Is it actually critical or do I just want to cross it off so that I can stop spending emotional or intellectual energy on it. Mm-hmm. And also the not showing the math, as you describe, which I love the way of talking about. <laughs> I did not tell you how I achieved this opinion. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's kind of important when, you know, when, when it really is a, a situation where it, something is on fire, uh, showing the math is useful to your, your, your team that are kind of growing into a role like yours, perhaps, to see how that decision-making process should happen. Yes. So absolutely. like uh, the opportunity to teach someone else how to think the way you think uh, as a, you know, as a way to move them forward in their career, showing them your math is kind of important, even if it's frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's totally, it's totally important. And I think it, it sort of dovetails with, you know, concepts around like business acumen and understanding, you know, why it's important for folks at all levels of the organization to understand some sort of fundamental business concepts and uh, why, you know, decisions are made the way that they're made, whether or not you can share all of the color because some pieces of information are more privileged, what have you, um, you know, sort of showing, showing the math at any level, I think is important to, to helping people um, both understand where you're coming from, but, you know, as you point out, to help them grow as well. Yeah. Um, what is the best or worst leadership uh, advice you've ever received? Oh boy. Um <laughs> Or just some hilarious advice, perhaps. We can give you some if, um, if you haven't, don't have any good stories. <laughs> Kendall oh, wow. can give you some hilarious advice for certain. I'm really looking forward to that, I have to tell you. <laughs> uh, no, I want to hear from you first. Um, I think uh, it was a, something around, like, authenticity. Um and it, you know, authenticity is super important to me. And when I first started out, there were definitely people who I knew who had different personas at work and not at work. And I knew that that was not what I wanted. And I don't just mean like, you know, definitely in the early nineties, there were people who like, didn't say that they were gay out loud. Right. Like that was a whole, that's like a whole other can of. Yeah. That's like self-preservation. Right. Right. But I mean, like, you know, people who would have just sort of a very different affect at work. And I always knew that that wasn't what I wanted. And it wasn't the kind of organization that I wanted to be a part of or that I wanted to, to, to grow. Um, and so um, sort of learning what my authentic self is, and, you know, that has changed as I've gotten older, and I assume it will continue to, but and, and you know, being true to that, um, and encouraging other people to um, it's something that, um, I don't know if I got that as advice, but it was modeled and uh-huh. it was something that I definitely, um, sort of 
took note yeah, of. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, like for both the idea that that mattered to you, um, yeah. that people were different at work and at home, and it mattered to you that you didn't have to be that, that you were able to, as the, the phrase is, bring your whole self to work. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's so exhausting to like have to Ugh. pay attention to that and change, and that's just not what I'm <laughs> yeah. yeah, the whole... Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah I've work. been very lucky not to have to have to do that too much and especially like for those of us who grew up online you know I was online starting at like age 13 or whatever yeah I being a different person online and being in the in the world is also another like one of those conundrums that I'm I'm glad that you were you learned that early enough to make uh, make your life more easy about yeah, it yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah well sure. so then I want to ask um You've been in, you know, lots of different kinds of leadership roles, uh, even different kinds of organizations throughout your career. As as you've grown as a leader, what are the things that you think make, you know, a leader more senior versus junior? What are the what are the kinds of skills a person has to to learn to be the head of a, you know, large part of the organization like you are versus, uh, you know, running um, a, a coordinating some volunteers for $18,000 a year. Like what, what, what's different about those people? Hey, that was my first pay as well. 18 grand out of college. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! Nice. I think I made 23. So ha, Oh, that's jealous. the gender pay cap right there. But I, I'm, yeah, I, it is. Yeah. I think that it is it, when you are able to like shift the lens to it being about what you have to say to amplifying what other people have to say. And helping people grow their voice and grow their ability to um, sort of differentiate and prioritize, um, and and as opposed to it being like here's here's all of the really smart stuff that I have to say, um, sort of being able to say like, hey friend, what are the really smart things that you have to say, and how can I help you develop your point of view? Yeah, that's good. Okay. And then, uh, I mean, the question that we ask everybody on authority issues is, you know, what is your relationship with authority and how do you feel about having authority over others versus uh, other people having authority over you? I think this one is a tough one um, because I've been so lucky in having really, really amazing managers with the exception of one who um, I just, God, I didn't like her. Um, it was I just say more. terrible manager. <laughs> I don't even, I have like sort of blocked it out, but I have this distinct memory of, uh, when I was with the aid service organization, I changed managers at one point and, uh, the new manager was a, just a disaster area. And I remember walking into my old manager's office and just like bawling, which I, you know, I'm not a crying at work kind of person. I think it's fine mm -hmm. if you are crying at work kind of person. It's not, not generally my jam though. Um, and just bawling and being like, I love my job and I hate this woman with every ounce of my being and I don't know how to reconcile these things. Uh -oh, but you can't really remember why. Just that it was No, terrible. I just remember her being so <laughs> terrible and disliking her so much and I like blocked out the... And I have no power to change it. it. Yeah, oh, and I mean, terrible. I was 23 three or 24, mm -hmm. right? So I didn't have a lot of frame of reference for, you know, what, what I, how to articulate what I wanted or how to fight for myself. All I knew was that this relationship was awful for me. This sucks. 
it's it's hard to know yeah it's hard to know how to advocate for healthy when you're not sure if you've seen healthy because you're just you're just young yeah. in your career and i mean that's that's just interesting I, there's a lot in my career that i look back and i'm like how did i put up with that why did i go along with that what was i think and i just didn't know better because i was younger in my career but that's that's interesting so you you say that to say your relationship with that person's authority was difficult but otherwise you've just had it pretty easy yeah and i think you know when i i think about um what i like about the managers that i've had or even other authority figures that i've had that that makes me feel comfortable is that they listen to me right like i i've never felt like i couldn't speak up and part of that is you know my parents doing and Part of that is probably my education, um, but uh, you know I've always felt like if I have something to say, I have no problem saying it. And certainly, I've had to adjust my my approach and my tone over time to be heard a little bit better. Um, but uh, you know, I've always, with the exception of this one horrible woman who I can't even remember her name. That's like how that she is for me. Um, <laughs> I can see your face in my mind right now, but I can't remember her name. And, um, and, well, finish your thought, and then I have a follow-up question for that. But so I think that that's a, a you know partially why my relationship to authority above me is generally positive because I've had such excellent leaders and mentors above me who are willing to listen and um, you know value my input, which is you know super super important to me. But so, so what I want to press on is, you know, with the exception of this one, apparently, obviously terrible person, um, you okay, know, we cut this part out. Well, <laughs> we didn't name them. <laughs> oh man, uh, potentially difficult person. Well, yeah. so, so I mean, with the exception of this one difficult person that you had trouble with it seems like i mean you're saying oh no you've just had pretty good authority and uh maybe that's true but there's a part of me that finds that really difficult to believe given how few quality leaders i've had in my life and mm -hmm. so that's that's part of what i want to ask is like is that actually the case or do you just have a relatively easy time with authority uh you know whether they're wonderful or not and so people just seem pretty You've great. Never had to you. a lot of reason not to trust authority, perhaps. Is no, that no, I'm at? I'm asking: Are you just good with all leaders, or most basically all leaders? And so it's you have an easy time with authority, period. And it's it's actually you being really flexible rather than you've had good 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 leaders. I don't know a lot of people that would call me really flexible. I have to. Be <laughs> okay, then. Yeah. No, we must act now. We must act now. Everything is yeah. on fire. Yeah. Um, no, but I mean, I do. I think that because my point of view is that, you know, my I am most successful when I am being helpful to other people. Like, I really strongly believe in servant leadership as a concept um, and a practice. Um, and I believe that, you know, managing up is a real thing. And if you get good at it, you can you know, basically write your own ticket um, uh, in terms of how you want your career to go and how you want your job to be structured. Uh, if you show value, you know, you can sort of go in whatever direction is interesting to you. Um, so I think that there is something oh, yeah. to what you're saying, Kendall, in terms of my uh, relationship to authority there, because, um, you know, if I'm within a particular context, I want to figure out how to be most successful within that context. And, um, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah I feel that really resonates with me, and it's something that I've said in the past, which is, you know, this is not universally true. People have different levels of, of uh, uh, you know, parity with, uh, with the folks that they are, are working for and with. But if you understand your own value, if you understand what it is you have to offer, you, you have a lot more, you know, you tend to have a lot better time asserting what you need to assert and getting what you need from your leadership. And uh, I love that you talk about it as managing up also. Um, do you have anything else to say about that? Like, um, what what is what is what are some key tenets of successful managing up? I think Ooh, the 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 most key tenant. No, that's the right way to say it. Um, is the keyest. I think it's the, the keyest, keyest. That's a tenet. better way to say it for yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, is communication right? So there's a million different ways that you can um, actualize managing up or or any other technique, and it's about making sure that the person you're doing it with likes the way you're doing it or else you're not going to be successful. Mm-hmm. Right. So That's, when I yeah, yeah. came key, into the role yeah. that I'm in now, um, I was really explicit with my direct manager and said like, you know, here's a few things that I can do to, um, you know, essentially manage up to you. Right. Like I can sort of point out things that it looks like you're not paying attention to, or I can sort of really tightly package something. So all you have to say is yes or no to it or ask questions. Um, or I can, um, get your lunch. I mean, like there's a lot so that you don't have to, so that you have time (laughs) to do other things, right? Like it's not about being an Mm -hmm. admin. It's about creating space for somebody and alleviating their pain. Um, you know, I, I consider myself the most successful in terms of my relationship to my manager when I am removing stress and pain from her sort of, uh, everyday or long-term strategic, uh, work environment. Um, so to me, that's, that's sort of a key piece of managing up is, is listening and paying attention. And then when you're doing things that are irritating the other person, Paying attention to that too, and actively trying to cut it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, the, yeah. I mean, what's interesting to me about that, and sorry, Rachel, I have cut you off all the times in this particular podcast. Um, would you like to go first? No, no. Go okay. ahead. That's fine. I actually was just agreeing. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, the, I mean, I, I was talking with a couple people actually just today and this week about managing up and the. Um, the specifics of finding out how that person wants you to communicate to them and um, Mm -hmm. how you're going to make that person look good and feel comfortable in their role and not insecure. And yeah, I think what's interesting about what you said that I'm taking away from it is, you know, you can be maybe really successful in managing up in one situation, but if a different leader needs something completely different, that should seem really obvious, but I feel like people see managing up as this... uh, you know, universal, oh, I'll just get good at managing up. But no, you really have to get good at managing up to each individual person you're managing up to, uh, which is interesting. Yeah. And that, that takes some amount of sensitivity, right? The understanding of context here. And you, you know, you were also talking about this is some, this is building a relationship before you can get what you want. You don't just waltz in and say, I need it to be this way. Yeah. Right. You have to establish this, 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 uh, you know, obviously there's a whole lot of trust there where they are sharing with you what it is that they need your support in. Um, and, you know, there's, you can always play a lot, of, a lot of little games in there as well, mental games around like, they need me, so I get to ask for something now, you know, kind of thing as well. 
Yeah. A little more subterfuge than I would prefer, but it does work sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, it's a two way street, right? And I'm not interested in any relationship that's not a two way street. So how can I help you be successful? How can you help me be successful? How can we be Mm -hmm. mutually successful? And that's true of my relationship with, you know, my direct manager or other people in the, you know, executive leadership team above me. And it's true of my relationships with my peers and with, you know, anybody who either directly or indirectly uh, is in the organization uh, below me. It's, it's, my my whole interest like is in being helpful. Yeah. It's like a superpower where you absorb the like perspective of the person that you're interacting with. Yeah. You know, you have to have their perspective somewhat to know what it is that they need from you. Yeah. What it is their goal is. So yeah, that's super great. I love that. And it's that. a it's a long term cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's a long term thing too, because if you just need something short term, uh, you just go in and sit in their office until they hire you. <laughs> But then hopefully you can convert it into a long-term business. Yeah. You go sit in their office until your boss gives you the thing you want. You know, like, no, I I want to take the weekend, the the week off. I'm just going to sit here until you let me take it off. Um, That's funny. All right. Well, I want to I want to move to something perhaps. Yeah, we're so serious on this show, but something a little less serious, which is um, what is it that you like to do outside of work? Um, so I have two small children, um, and they Uh take up the vast majority of my time. Um, but my wife will tell you that when, um, not, you know, going to taking them to swim lessons or gymnastics or whatever, uh, that I, my primary uh, goal in life is to tinker in the garage. Um, with what sort of stuff? Any sort of stuff. I have a lot of material. <laughs> as I thought had you were going to say you were, have a lab. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That was, that's, maybe that's the next thing. Well, uh, yeah, well, you say material. Are, are you working with wood, with metal, with all of the above? What kinds of things are you tinkering with? So most recently, I decided I couldn't find a wallet that I liked. And so I decided I was going to learn how to make my own wallet out of leather. Um, before nice. that I couldn't find a dining room table that I liked. So I built my own dining room table. Um, seems like you could make it. your life a lot easier if you just figured out how to Google uh, a little better. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. But <laughs> then it's to the point of like, well, I could buy that for, you know, $1,500 or I could learn how to make it and sure. spend more than that. Yeah. Yeah, Get some right. joy. Oh yeah. That's a lot what we time. had is with cheese making. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. So. Yeah. So you you enjoy making, learning how to make some particular thing that just so you get what you specifically want. Were you yes. happy with the results of your wallet and table projects? No, the wallet situation is a disaster. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that was no time at all. You're like, not no. Not <laughs> at all. What I was looking for. I'm, I'm not quite there yet. That one's still a work in progress, <laughs> but the dining room table uh, the first iteration ended up in the trash, and then the second iteration is actually in my dining room. Now. So, yes, I was, pleased, right. I was pleased with that. I feel like <laughs> the this MVP is the was round two. Yeah, I feel like this is the piece that I miss with all of my projects. Is uh, the MVP ends up in my kitchen, and I'm grumpy about it. It's about standards. Well, I should throw it away and do it again, but uh, yeah, I'm not convinced my second time around will be any better. Is the sad part. Oh, no. It's like the fourth or the fifth. Yeah. I mean, the second yeah. one I had to sand and redo a few times before we got to where I was happy with it. So. Uh, whereas it's with Kendall, it's just that he never learned. No, ah, I never yeah. get better. <laughs> I'm, I'm too good at doing it almost good enough. And I, and I am mm. not good enough at doing it good enough. 
There's just, <laughs> I just could never reach a standard I'm happy with or other people are happy so, with. Are you working on, on learning how to make or making a particular thing now? What, what's your current project? Well, I haven't given up on the wallet yet. I'm still, oh, I see. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a few hundred dollars in, so I really could have bought <laughs> like, literally any wallet yeah, out yeah. there. Um, but now I have all the tools, so I'm really I'm gonna I'm gonna get there eventually. I mean, part of the problem is just getting leather that's thin enough, right? I mean, unless you want a big. Oh uh, well, wallet, so I, guess. I have a lot of leather now because I couldn't find what I wanted in a store, so I had to order a whole bunch of stuff. So I ordered all these different thicknesses and textures. <laughs> and <laughs> oh my gosh! So, you can yeah, go into so business. you know. Horse so one day I'll use it for something. You know, you never know. And if you have a few cool. throwaways, I'll take an extra wallet, Elisa. All right. I, I have like seven or eight. So the next time I see you, I'll bring you one. <laughs> you can hand them out at work events, you know. Yeah, totally. That's awesome. Oh, uh, well, thank you so much for, yeah. for being on the show. This was great. And thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. I super enjoyed it. Thank yeah, you thank for having you. me. I was really happy to do it. Yeah.